there's always going to be this give and take with the political process. And I think part of that is this power struggle across party lines. And I think overall that's detrimental to the political process, especially when we're dealing with issues that need to be ad addressed in the now, whether we're talking about climate change, whether we're talking about healthcare, whether we're talking about immigration, no matter where you stand on it, all I see is stalemates. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. So we're back. We're, we are doing Suspect, episode two. I'm hoping everyone checked back in. I'm hoping this wasn't a one-time thing for listeners. And we have a great show. We are going to be recapping on some issues that we spoke of last episode. There have been some new developments. We've also graduated from just post-its to a whiteboard now. So we have the whiteboard up. The whiteboard has our notes, our thoughts, our ideas. A lot's happened. And I almost feel like we were, I'm searching for the word. What's the word? Uh, we had great foresight in our topics that we chose, but I think we also just got kind of lucky because there's been some new developments. We're going to get on those really quick but I just want to say thank you for tuning again. This is Suspect. I'm David Hugans. I'm Hillary Osborne. Hello again. And we're going to continue talking about sustainability, how it impacts our lives, how it hopefully is impacting everyone's lives. And we're going to try to apply this critical lens in how we interact with both our world as well as our sustainability professional world and our academic world and how all of those kind of mesh together. So we hope you enjoy. So our first thing up that uh, we want to mention is Justice Antonin Scalia did pass away. Uh, actually, shortly after we posted our first episode, we had spoken that President Obama's limit on power plant emissions did not really go over well in the Supreme Court, namely due to Justice Roberts being on the fence. However, we do know that Ant Justice Antonin Scalia was one of the uh, no votes on that as well for the EPA's ability to limit carbon emissions. But now with Justice Antonin Scalia's death, there is an open seat on the Supreme Court now. And what that means is the vote has the potential to be shifted. And I know there is pushback now from the Republican Party saying that uh, President Obama shouldn't be appointing a new Supreme Court justice. They should be waiting for the next president, and there's back and forth over why there's precedent for that or not precedent. But I think what we're going to focus on is what does that mean for the concepts of sustainability? How is this going to be impacted moving forward, especially with the point at hand, which is does the EPA still have the ability to regulate emissions from power producers? And how is this opening of the seat and possible filling of a seat of a Democratic president 
going to impact these decisions moving forward. I I covered a lot there. Yeah. Wait, so what is the precedent, though? So what is the precedent for um, someone who's leaving office that same year in regards to electing as Supreme Court justice? So people are going to argue that there is precedent that no one has actually nominated a Supreme Court justice for 80 years. That's what Ted Cruz keeps on saying, which is actually not true. It's happened a few times. Then somewhat, then he corrected his statement saying that he, uh, no one has been confirmed in the last six months, which is kind of true, but it actually happened another two times. There really is no presence. So there's the Strom Thurmond rule, which actually isn't even a rule. And it's to say that the last six months of his presidency should not uh, nominate a Supreme Court justice. But we're not even in the last six months of his presidency. That's still almost four months out. The argument is each side, this being Republican and Democrat, wants to keep or at least try to keep a hand in Supreme Court decisions. And everyone is going to use whatever excuse they can to keep that from happening. So Mitch McConnell actually has tried to invoke the the Strom Thurmond rule. However... The majority leader, right? Mitch yes. McConnell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's... On John Oliver's show last week tonight, he actually has uh, precedent before, and this is recorded on C-SPAN, of Mitch McConnell saying that the Democrats are trying to use the Strom Thurmond rule, which isn't even a written rule, to block the appointment of a Supreme Court justice, and this was back 20 years ago. So I don't think the issue necessarily is with the nomination. It's about party control. And we're at a point, I think, in politics at least, that party control is trumping everything else. And we're no longer speaking about issues. We're speaking about control. We're speaking about the ability to influence something possibly in the future which is a good thing. It's sustainability is all about looking to the future and thinking what's going to happen in the future. But inaction in the hope for future power is a little backwards, in my opinion. But basically, what is the idea is that they're going to wait until after the elections to decidedly pick who's going to be on the Supreme Court. That's like what's been said by the majority leader that basically they're going they're not going to listen to any of the nominations that Obama has said in a lot of words yes but nothing has been established in stone nothing has been said conclusively that they will or will not see any appointments or nominations or approve anything and so right now it's this waiting game and it's a little little ridiculous I feel like we're in an impasse almost when it comes to this, but there's so much focus right now on the primaries and the upcoming general election that this is almost being shuffled to the side. For a brief moment, this was a huge hot issue, and I think it still is, but I think it's being overshadowed by the primaries right now. Okay, so if Hillary Clinton gets elected, she is going to have more pull and like more fans in Congress that actually want to support her and her decisions. Do you feel that way? Because I feel like in Congress, they have done nothing but wanted to thwart everything that, basically the Republican Party, I feel like has wanted to thwart everything that Barack Obama has wanted to set in stone. Like everything that he's wanted to institute, they're absolutely uninterested in. 
and like 100% want to, like they're willing to sabotage the economy. I'm, I'm sure I'm just speaking <laughs> hyperbolically, but it's like basically they're willing to just combat anything that might be profitable just because they do not want anything that Barack Obama suggests to be actually go into legislation and actually be enacted. What do you think? So, hypothetically, if Clinton were to be elected, I don't know if it would fix anything, but I don't think it would make anything worse. That's a total non-answer, I know, but I honestly don't know at this point. I don't feel authoritative enough to say conclusively whether or not these happenings, these instances, will be as a result of someone's election or whether or not these will conclusively cause cascading effects years down the line. I don't know. I think ultimately that's what it comes down to is a lot of people are trying to hold off on these nominations, on these decisions, because it is an election year. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of uncertainty as to how the nation is going to move forward. But I think it's so clear after Super Tuesday, which just happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we've established that as far as the timestamp on this recording. But Super Tuesday just happened yesterday. And really, it's looking like it's going to be Trump versus Hillary Clinton, which is ridiculous. But anyway, what I'm saying is that like Hillary Clinton has her fingers in the corporate pie in a certain sense. I don't like that's very euphemistic or whatever. I feel like maybe she is more apt to um, inspire and sort of encourage change and sort of have people collaborate with her in regards to the political system. I don't know if that's just conjecture on my part, but I really do feel that way. I just think that because of her connections and because of her, she's like institutionalized. She's totally an establishment Democrat in the way that like she can collaborate with Republicans. And it's like, I don't think it's going to be that staunch resistance that you got when Obama got elected. And it's like, he's, you know, the president in a time where it's a primarily Republican Congress and they wanted to completely combat him on every issue. It's like, I don't think that's going to be the same issue with Hillary Clinton because I do think that she's sort of like established and has somewhat of a pull in that whole regard and that like maybe that's a good thing. I feel that we've all sort of, or I feel personally that I have been a part of the like vilifying of Hillary Clinton in regards to supporting Bernie Sanders because we all sort of took his cause and ran away with it and we're like yeah you know Bernie Sanders has these important ideas that we all identify with and that are super super progressive to the point where it's like how can you even implement them in an institutionalized system in a system that already exists it's like you can't break the system down from its foundation that's never going to happen and that's why I think that Bernie Sanders is not going to be our candidate, which is very unfortunate. I'm not saying I'm not sad about that. I was just telling David that I'm supposed to do a telethon for Bernie Sanders on Sunday, and I'm already feeling very disheartened, and maybe that I shouldn't even bother. It's kind of depressing. But it's at the same time, it's like, is it healthy for us to be vilifying Hillary Clinton because of the fact that we wanted to support Bernie Sanders, and maybe he's not actually going to end up being the candidate, that maybe Hillary Clinton is going to be the candidate, and maybe she is a good vessel for inspiration of change. Maybe she is, right? Like, what do you think about that? I think that this just underlines our existing political system and the quandary that is voting. Are people actually voting for 
candidates that they feel best represent their interests? Or are we voting for someone who we think will win compared to, I'm gonna put this in air quotes, the other guy? I look at this from a point of, is the political system that we have effective in maintaining the status quo per se? Do we have a political system that is really, really good at actually not doing much? Are we willing to elect someone based off of their abilities to collaborate across the aisle? Or do we want to elect individuals based on their merits as a person and the stances that they purport to have during an election? Because ultimately, I think it comes down to, can we trust what candidates are saying now in, in order to get our votes? Once again, a non, total non-answer on that, but I think that definitely Hillary Clinton has a better vessel in which to communicate with her Republican counterparts, at least at this moment. I think that certain people will tend to vote based off of realistic expectations of who can be elected rather than voting along their morals and values, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, that kind of realism. I think there's there needs to be a healthy mix of your ideals and values and things that you hope to happen combined with what you see as a day-to-day -day reality. And we were talking earlier about kind of day-to-day -day operations and how that intertwines with this concept of sustainability. How can we bring sustainability to the mainstream? And I think ultimately that stems from this idea that we need to bring sustainability to the family. That's what I feel. I there is I'm not going to act like that is the one way to bring sustainability and environmental action to the mainstream, but I think that linking family values, whether it's to politics, whether it's to economics or environmental action, it doesn't matter what it is, but by linking the family and family values, we're going to put that in air quotes, to a cause you get people to start thinking ahead. Right now, we're in this election year, we're thinking the next four years. That's the time frame. But when you're dealing with bigger concepts such as the economy, such as sustainability, such as human rights or reproductive rights, if we want to get really controversial, air quotes again, by bringing the family into it and bringing children into it, it's forcing individuals to look at least one generation ahead, maybe even two. And you don't even have to have children, I feel, to care about children. Everyone at least knows someone with a kid or children multiple. And I think that if we can somehow tie these issues that we're passionate about and that we see as having value in our society, if we can tie those to family values and family health, all of a sudden those concepts gain a lot more traction. I think that that's an, a unifying idea. It is about prosperity. It's the fact that it's like we're thinking about the generation coming, the next generation. It's exactly like David is saying, which is something that I didn't necessarily think about like as a tactic to unify these two parties in regards to climate change, in regards to environmental issues. Is It is about family values and it is about prosperity. That's such an important element of it. And it is something that everyone cares about. That is the way to unify this whole idea. And it's a way to 
not basically make it a diverse issue. It's like a way to make people not think of it as like just tree hugging hippies, quote unquote, that care about the environment. It's like, it's like, no, we're actually caring about your children, my children. It's like, that's where that element of people being engaged and being concerned about these things is, is the fact that it's related to family values and related to the fact that your children are going to live on this earth. And so it's like, how much do you care about that? It's almost a dirty, subversive tactic. You can ask anyone, it's like, do you care about the children? No one is going to say no to that. No one's going to come out and say, I don't care about children. I don't care about our future. Of course you're going to say yes to that. So if you can link these issues, namely sustainability and sustainable economics and environmental health, if you can link that somehow to children and family, that brings about a much more impassioned and dedicated following or base of people who are willing to speak up on its behalf. And now we're in this conversation of do does the end justify the means or vice versa? If we get to an environmentally friendly, sustainable economic structure, is it okay that we threw a little bit of mud and maybe called into question people's ethics and morals and values and said so-and-so doesn't care about your children. And this is broad strokes, very broad strokes. Please let me know if you disagree. Yeah, I hope we get some comments on this, man. Yeah. I hope people are like, I fucking disagree with you. <laughs> Unless people are directly asked, their immediate concern is of their own welfare. Now that welfare may extend to that of their friends and family, including children, but when it comes to immediate welfare and immediate utility, people tend to be a bit short-sighted. And I think that the cool thing about sustainability and what we're studying especially is that we are offered an opportunity to think not just in that short term, but even more than one generation out, two generations, three generations. And I think historically when we've talked about sustainability, especially from the terms that were laid out in the Brundtland Commission, the whole, and you can look this up on Wikipedia, utilizing resources today so that future resources may still use them, on and on and on. I disagree with a lot of, a lot of that just because it's not necessarily a bad idea, but it's focused so much on satisfying immediate desire of consumption. Sustainability, I think, as it's evolved to allows for this idea of do we actually need these things that we want to consume? But we feel entitled to them is the thing. It's like the way that we're conditioned. I'm speaking specifically from living in the United States, but it's like we feel entitled to those things. That's what's so interesting about that whole thing. People in the United States specifically, and I'm speaking from that's where I live, that's what I know, but it's like people feel like they're entitled to eating strawberries when they're not in season. That was something that really sort of got me on the path of studying what is it that we are doing and how is it adverse and what are we consuming that is probably like being depleted to the point of like not existing anymore. And Well, that entitlement that you speak of, that idea that we deserve to have these things kind of resonates with me. Um, 
there's this quote by Ronald Wright, uh, this author, who this quote is actually very often misattributed to John Steinbeck in that socialism never took root in America because the poor see, see themselves not as an exploited proletariat, but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. I feel like, were you talking about this when we last recorded? That basically yes. it's like someone who's in America who's poor is just like, no, I'm just waiting for my big break. Like, that's the American dream. That we really, really, really believe in socioeconomic mobility. Yes. That we, like, really believe that, like, no, nah, I'm just waiting to win the lottery. No, nah, I'm just waiting to get my big break. Like, that's our whole thing. And that, I think, is a very American value. Absolutely. And I, th- and I think that travels over to our consumption of resources. And so when we talk about political parties and having candidates that have our best interest in mind, it's as if everyone expects themselves to be on the up and up. And while I don't necessarily disagree that that's possible, this comes back to this idea of realism. Are we aligning ourselves with people who can win or actually have our best interests in mind? Ronald Wright here is saying that if we perhaps weren't so entitled, I'm attributing this strictly to him. I don't know how I feel about this. I think it rings true, but to what extent, I don't know. But if we remove the idea that we are perpetually on this increase, that we are on our way to greatness, would we be more passionate in our voting? Would we be more passionate in our pursuit of a brighter future for the next generation, knowing that we may be stalled at where we are now? These are just questions I ask myself. This is not me proselytizing that this is how it is. I feel that it's important to take a critical lens, not just the world around you, but to your own morals and values as well. And I believe that sustainability is a perfect catalyst for that. Are the actions that I'm having to deal with right now, are the decisions that I'm making going to impact my welfare and utility immediately and how long is that going to last is the immediate utility of my decision going to be felt in a generation is it going to be felt by my children is it going to be felt by my grandchildren the idea of sustainability isn't necessarily to fix it but rather it's to perpetuate the idea that we should be asking these questions on a regular basis. And this constant reevaluation allows for change to actually happen. Because if we had the answers 20 years ago at the Brundtland Commission, then we've just kind of screwed up. However, if sustainability is this constantly evolving and constantly changing idea of how we should deal with it now and in order to best suit the future, then I think that this constant reevaluation and questioning of our existing preconceptions is something that's really valuable for everyone. So we get into these very dangerous situations in which we go, oh, candidate X is going to do this. Is that action really going to be best for us in the long run? Maybe a lot of people see Trump's idea of erecting a wall as the best thing that can happen right now. But are we really in a situation where that's going to be the best situation for them moving forward 20 years? Unfortunately, there are these very polarizing stances that occur 
during election years that overshadow the critical thinking I think is necessary to enact positive change. That's just so unfortunate about um, political elections in the United States is the fact there are these certain issues that have all the attention and then all other issues get swept under the rug. don't know I like I'm aware of one t I mean like this is so sad this is so sad that this is what this is depleted to but it's like I'm aware of one tweet that Donald Trump put out like in 2011 where he's like it's snowing I guess global warming isn't happening which is the other thing that's like I can't believe this is really happening I really did not think that Donald Trump was going to be the candidate but he really is He's really going to be the Republican candidate. Okay, so Trump is potentially a climate denier, a climate change denier, but definitely a crazy person. Where's Hillary Clinton on climate change? She said a whole lot of nothing. And I do remember during the first or second Democratic debate for the primaries, uh, Martin O'Malley took the stance that climate change was the biggest economic opportunity for the United States. And I just, I was so excited about that. Was never a huge Martin O'Malley fan, but that one statement really got me excited. And it didn't gain much traction, but I felt it was a very valuable point that he made because it brought in sustainability to the economic structure that we're currently facing. And no one's talked about it because it's not a sexy topic right now. Climate change is kind of a downer topic. But Martin O'Malley, I feel, was trying to turn that on its head. Be like, hey, we have a great opportunity. Which was a very politically savvy way of Trump's let's make America great again. I don't see that much difference between Trump saying, let's make America great again. And Martin O'Malley saying, 
let's use climate change as a way for the United States to become even more of an economic superpower. Though that's the same statement in my mind. But people are afraid of the investment involved. That's what the issue is, is it's like they know that that means a major investment Mm -hmm. and they're not thinking about the returns. Exactly. Well, we covered all the topics on the whiteboard. I think we had a successful chat. I think that we've... We We didn't interview anyone this time. We did not interview anyone this time, but... It's just us, man. That's the great thing about this medium is we can do whatever we want with it. So in the future, we are most definitely going to have more interviews with young professionals, with people who are experiencing sustainability in their day-to-day lives. But sometimes we're just going to sit here and riff and chat. And I think that's really something that makes what we're doing special, is that there is a free-flowing form to the availability of content that we have. And also, David has to edit it all, so it's like, it's really not on me and not on you guys, so really, he's the one carrying the burden. And so are we all happy for that? So we, we did cover all the things that were on the whiteboard, more or less. I think we had some really good conversations on Supreme Court justices, on the presidential election, and I that really was a focus of this conversation. And while it's not necessarily directed specifically at sustainability or sustainable issues, I think it has a lot to do with our day-to-day reality, which I think this podcast is really trying to focus on. How do we as a culture, how do we as individuals address sustainability in our day-to-day lives? And sometimes, as we've exemplified, other things get in the way. Anything left to say, I guess? Go Rangers. Alright, I just wanted to say thank you again to Zale who provided our intro and outro music. You can find these and more tracks by Zale at soundcloud.com slash justzale. That's J-U-S-T-Z-A-Y-L-E. Additional music this episode was provided by Jeff Kale, who produces under the name X-I-X-X. And that second song you heard was called Pancakes. We will link all of the music featured in this episode in the description below so you can find the URLs and how to get downloads for all of those tracks. And thank you again for tuning in. We appreciate it. See you next week. Take care. That's the other thing is it's like the whole thing that Hillary Clinton wears a pantsuit. We don't call it a pantsuit when a man wears it. We call it a pantsuit when a woman wears it. But either way, it's covering up her lizard exterior, which is great. I mean, like, we don't want to see her as a lizard. We want to see her as a human. So it's good that we're seeing her that way.